It's episode eight of the Improv London podcast with this week's guest, Carleen McDermott. This ain't gonna be easy. Welcome to episode eight. I'm your host, Stuart Moses. This week's guest is Carleen of C3 Something and the rebranding. And as usual, I had a really good time talking to her. One day I will have a terrible time talking to someone, but I will not tell you that. You'll have to work that out for yourself. We talked about lots of fun things. You'll hear how genre Claude Van Damme would create a movie based on the lyrics of Duran Duran's The Reflex. You can hear what Carleen thinks about comedy. Is it art? Yes, it is art. That's what she says. And also about the Herald. We'll learn about the Herald. It isn't a cage. It's a climbing frame. Anyway, all this and more. Do enjoy. Give me 30 seconds to get that bite of protein bar out of all of my teeth. Oh, we're already recording. Yes. In that case, just open with that. <laughs> I've listened to your podcast. <laughs> I've studied your technique. Yeah, we're a cold open. <laughs> just, just slide on in. <laughs> well, sometimes I find that you know, the solid gold before the uh, recording starts. <laughs> and, and if there isn't, then I can just cut that bit out, because I don't really edit, apart from maybe at the beginning. Nice. Well, the worst one I had was when I interviewed Lydia Hensler for our podcast, Plug, Seen and Heard Two Up, where we interviewed yes teachers that we bring over from the US and other places. See the link in the show notes. <laughs> that bit you'll edit. Um, we were 30 minutes in and I realised I hadn't hit record ah. and I touched the button and hadn't gone on so we had to start again and try and make it sound like we hadn't had this really lengthy conversation already <laughs> I felt so bad feel free to finish your protein bar if, if you're gonna, if you... not if you want me to answer any questions it is literally glued parts of my mouth together <laughs> ok um, hello hi <laughs> how are you I'm, oh, I'm a little under the weather but that's almost always true so let's ignore that how are you I'm alright um, do you find uh, being under the weather uh, and improvising performing and teaching you just still have to do it anyway yeah I do I find it really frustrating though because um, I have a lot of health problems none of which I'm going to go into because it's boring to hear other people list they're like and then they hurt um <laughs> But sometimes I'm super ill when I improvise, and I just can't help it. I have a couple of long-term things that never go away. And I get so frustrated because I can feel it stopping my brain from working. And I hate it, because I'll be in the middle of a scene. And the best way I can describe it is, you know like an older car, how it used to have a starter motor? And you turn, and it'll sort of rev, but it's not quite catching. And that's what my brain feels like. I know the ideas in there. I know I know what I want to do and say. But I just, it's like a fog. It's like walking through caramel and I can't get to it. And it's so frustrating yes. that you just know you're behind this object that you can't do anything about. It drives me nuts. Yes. Um, I've long learned that um, I'm never going to feel well. Not, well, I'm never going to feel like optimal when I'm going to be either, even just taking a class. It's mm. always like, I'm always going to be tired. I'm always, it's always going to be <laughs> slightly ill. And you just sort of have to go anyway, because if you wait until you're feeling in peak physical condition, it's never, never going to happen. Well, that's the thing. I mean, there's always a reason in life not to do stuff. But, you know, what, am I just supposed to sit around and be ill for the rest of my life? Because I can do that, or I can do the things that I love. Yes, yes. No, that, sounds, uh, that sounds the right attitude. Thank you. I like being correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to give validation. Uh, <laughs> that's what we're all here for. Oops. Um, that was the chair. 
So, uh, tonight is a Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. You are teaching the C3 something. something, what's the drop-in called? Technically, be, oh, I just usually call it the C3 something drop-in, but it is the C3 something long-form drop-in, because that's the style of improv that I particularly love, and that Shem and I champion at C3 something. Um, do you want me to sort of describe the class? Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, yeah. What I'm curious about is oh. your, your process and, um, yeah, what, what's the class like? Um, how much do you prefer? Because you've actually got teaching, like, knowledge and stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> Pro I, Proper teaching knowledge. Proper teaching <laughs> Um Yeah, well, I get, because I started improvising 19 years ago. Uh, literally the same year I started my Bachelor of Education. So I started at university and I have a Bachelor of Education in drama and was a high school teacher for years. Um, so I do, I do feel the luxury of having that education training. And I must confess, it is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine because we do a less tangible art form that I feel like sometimes people have that attitude of like, sure, anyone can teach it. It's like, mm, no, you would never say that of any other skill in the world. Yes. Um, I'm not saying people need an education degree to teach. That's definitely not true. But it's not one of those like, oh, there's some knowledge in my head. So therefore, I should charge you money to give it to you because it is a skill. Teaching is a skill. Um, I think, you know, everyone uses the sporting analogy of coaches. There are some amazing sportsmen who are sports people who were terrible coaches and fantastic coaches who weren't great sports people and some who managed to be both or neither um yeah so i i do plan my lessons there is structure to them there's a warm-up because they're a drop-in there's a theme every week so the lessons are unrelated to each other but all related to learning skills of long-form improv um, and I want it that way because I never want people to feel that they can't just show up. Uh, that's the whole point of a drop-in. You should be able to come whenever you're free. I mean, you've come to several and there's been some, you know, huge gaps between classes you've come to. But I would never want you to show up and suddenly think, oh, I haven't been for a month, so I don't belong here. Hmm. And I also, it's, I find it hard in a good way and challenging in a good way because it's a drop-in that I've been doing now for a year and a half. Um, I've got some people who come that have been coming basically since the start and I have new people every single week and I have some people every single week that have never done improv before and that's massively diversified room to teach to so you've got a huge range of skills and a huge range of experiences of me and my lessons <laughs> so how can I teach everybody something effectively without repeating myself Driving away people who love to come regularly or driving away people who are trying something for the first time and are terrified. And how do you manage that? Because I, <laughs> because that's, because I, I teach, uh, it's not quite the same, but I teach web design. And um, if everyone's a complete beginner, that's fine. Yeah. And if everyone's really good, that's also fine. And if everyone's at middle, that's also good. But if you've got some really good people and some people who are more beginners. It's challenging. Uh, I guess the, I mean, the shortest and most honest answer is I guess I don't always manage it. Uh, <laughs> I can't sit here head on head now and go, I manage it because I'm good. Um, what I like to do is to make it super clear to everyone at the start of the class what the theme will be. So they know what they're going to be working towards. So if it's someone who's done a lot of improv, like today, we're actually going to focus on the concept of yes and, but not just in the more basic way that it's taught. So we're going to look at what it really means to yes and. How can I make my scene partner 100% correct with the information I and with? And how can I use my reactions 
to yes what he's given me so much that we can produce an entire scene. Because if you say to me, let's go on a picnic, and I say, great, I'll start preparing food. Sure, I've yes and, but if I respond with like, a picnic, like how we first met, darling, you remembered. I've suddenly pushed us in a whole, you know, I've pushed us straight into a scene because I've really listened and I've really yesed and I've really and rather than just kind of like, sure, sandwiches. Yeah. Um, and when you first started out, just yesing and anding is hard enough. Yes. So in today's class, you know, for some people, if they're new, that's all I want out of them. Just agree with your scene partner and build on what they're saying. For the more advanced people, I want them to really look at like, how can I... How can I have a genuine, grounded reaction, but play to the top of my intelligence, but produce something interesting? Hmm. Um, and so I'll always sort of explain to the class that it's like, I'm going to give you context for these exercises. If you've never improvised before, ignore all of this. Think about kittens. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, if you have improvised before and you want this information, listen to it. Uh, if you have any questions, ask me. If you can't be bothered to ask questions, don't. Like, it's all just take from the class what you want, as long as you enjoy it. Yeah. And that's what I always sort of say to them. Do the activities and enjoy them. And if the rest of the information is helpful, then that's great. So do you have uh, a list of topics that you're going to cover? or Not for a drop-in. Yeah. Uh, when I teach courses, I'll have a very definite idea. Um, I will, when I teach courses, I plan. Like, <laughs> I will have a scheme of work for... Like, in February here, I'm doing a six-week course which is going to be on one X monocenes and the pretty flower, which are three forms that all breed into each other. So I will have a six week scheme of work and I will have individual lesson plans um, because I will know exactly what I want us to cover each week. I know exactly where I want us to be and what I want us to move on to. And I'll know what exercises I want to hit for the drop in. What I tend to do is just pick topics either because I'm inspired by them or because I've had a guest teacher over and they've done or said something really interesting or because I feel it's something that I haven't covered in the drop-in uh so I'll pick the topic and I'll send out descriptors via Facebook and Twitter and everything else to the meetup people to say you know if you're interested in this this is what's happening this week some people come specifically because oh you're doing x and other people are just like oh it's coming anyway whatever we're doing is fine yeah yeah and then I will plan so this evening I know what warm-ups I want to do, I know what exercises I want to do, but I feel from a teaching perspective it's always important to be able to be flexible on that. Yeah. There's no point in me planning... It's, it's improv. There's no point in me planning an entire lesson in my head to find that the class don't respond at all how I thought they would yes. and then try and force that lesson on them anyway, even <laughs> though it's going super badly. <laughs> yes, and um, actually I feel in a similar way when I'm teaching web design, I need to prepare it... Mm. Um, so that I know exactly what I'm planning to do, yes. and then I don't have to think about it while I'm teaching it. Because trying to think about it while you're teaching it's really hard, but if you've got it already and you're just teaching it, you can then adapt if it's not, you know. I also think it's a little bit insulting if people do that. These people are giving time and money to me to teach them a skill they want. If I was then going to stand in front of them and just literally be like, fuck it, I haven't decided what we're going to do today. Um, that's <laughs> bullshit. That's bullshit. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine if you went to a play. Well, I mean, I suppose it is improv, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> hey, well, I'm paying some money. I'm giving up some time. We don't know what we're going to do yet. <laughs> but I expect my improvisers to be skilled and talented. I expect them to be able to produce something. <laughs> and even if they are making it up on the spot, I want it to appear as if, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Do I want it? I don't know. 
See, I'm one of those people that quite likes that compliment. If I have an audience member who says to me, I don't believe you made that up, yes. then I sort of think, yeah, job well done. Yes, yes. Good. Of course, it's a no-win situation because then they, if it's good and they think you didn't make it up, then they think you're not improvising. And if... <laughs> I, I think it's a, uh, for me, any, well, I mean, it's improv. Any compliment's a compliment. I tell, my, I tell my classes constantly. I make them applaud. Every time people get up to do a two-person scene, I make them applaud because it's like, you're improvisers. Applaud yourselves constantly. Yes, exactly. Applaud yourself for getting out of bed in the morning. Yes. Applaud yourself for managing to have a bath without drowning. Just constantly <laughs> pat yourself on the back. It's all validation. It's all, it's all any, any validation yeah. that we can get is uh, is is definitely uh, it's definitely a good thing. Yeah. You um, your preferred form of uh, long form yes is non narrative. Yes. Why do you hate stories? Oh, hate strong word. Throw it at me. Uh, well, firstly, which I think a lot of people don't know about me, is I did it for years. Like, I have literally improvised for 19 years. I started in short form, did loads of short form, and then did a whole pile of narrative for ages. Um, so for a while, the only thing I did was teach improv. I taught it in schools, but I never did anything. Uh, because for me, I felt like I'd already played with all the toys in the box. I felt like I'd been taught forms... And in some ways, this is because of just the style that I was taught and who I learned from and what I'd learned. But I was under the impression that I'd been taught everything there was to know. So I was very much of the attitude that's like, well, I've played with all of these toys. I'm just going to go down the pub and watch football. Um, So I sort of stopped for a while. And then it wasn't until I met... uh, I decided to get back into improv because I had a little bit more time on my hands. And I met Shem Pennant very early on into that process here in London. He introduced me to the concept of long form. And for me, it was like a world opening up because it was just dropping all of the preconceived barriers of what you have to do with it, with improv. Because for short form, like audience members love it because it's just a series of uh, joyful explosions. Every game is a joyful explosion. But... When you're doing it, you have to play that game. And either you're going to get your reward from doing it well and being funny within it or doing it badly and being funny about failing. But you still have to do that thing. And with narrative, I feel like um, a contract is made with the audience that we're going to, to tell this story and we're going to create this plot. This is going to get me in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. Whether or not this is the most interesting choice available to us on stage because we've told you that's what we're going to do. And that's one of the things that I found frustrating when I was doing narrative was like, no matter what happens, this is the next scene we have to go to because we're doing a narrative form, because we've made this contract with the audience. Whereas with non-narrative long form, to me, it feels like all the doors are always open. No matter what suggestion I get, no matter what's happening... I get to make a choice as to what it is that I'm going to do. And there are forms that I do that do have some barriers on them. I do the movie form with Jean-Claude Van Damme. That starts with three scene paints. It starts with two characters being painted in each scene. We know how it's going to start. That's the jumping off point. But then all the doors are still open. We don't have to follow any of those scenes. We're not looking to explore the plot within that. Plot will be a part of it. We're doing an improvised movie. But what we're looking to to do is find the games and the tropes of the genres we're creating and explore those. Hmm. And that's what I love is... Yeah, I mean, I've already said it twice. All the doors are open. I don't know myself where this is going to go. 
And I know people that do narrative will say the same thing, but for me, it's just a different... Why do some people love sprinting and some people love marathons? I've, I, I find it weird when people try and analyse that. I've been in arguments on Facebook, which I'm sure people have seen. It drives me... I get so angry when people start these pointless rants of like I like chocolate cake and I feel like someone criticised chocolate cake so I'm going to say fuck you to everyone who doesn't like chocolate cake eat what you want eat what you want do what you want just don't criticise other people for doing what they want yes and ultimately to anyone outside the chocolate cake scene (laughs) all cakes are the same and it's only something once you start getting into the chocolate cake scene that you realise that there's, there's variations. And the chocolate cake people hate the Victoria Sponge people and the Victoria Sponge people hate but the Swiss roll people. I mean, listen to the analogy we're making. If that was a real thing, if you were like, fuck you, Carly, and you eat carrot cake, so I'm never going to speak to you and I don't support what you're doing and I'm going to write angry posts about you and you're never going to do my podcast. How ridiculous is that? But imagine if you said to me, fuck you, Carly, and you do long form, and I feel like that criticises what I like. Because you don't do... I've had people that have told me off because we don't have narrative and short form at our nights. And it's like, you don't walk into a vegetarian restaurant and bitch that they don't serve steak. <laughs> well, <laughs> some people might. <laughs> Why are they in the vegetarian... Go to the steak place next door, man. Go to the Argentinian restaurant and get your meat on. That's, that's what I don't understand. I did, you know, you've mentioned our podcast already. We did a lovely one with Will Hines when he was over because we did one with him sort of talking about improv. Um, But we did one with him where he was talking about like snake oil salesmen and how he finds it really hard being a UCB teacher because UCB is is the school that's often held up by other people as like, oh, no, they're terrible because they've decided that there's a way to do it and we don't agree with that way. Um which I find bizarre. Oh, they wrote a book saying that their way is the way. It's like, no, they wrote a book saying their way is the way they do it, which is basically every book that anyone has ever (laughs) written that isn't fiction. Here's my way of how a thing is done. Here's my view that I've researched and whatever, but it's still a pain because, you know, that's how books work. That's why people write them. If it's facts, it's the dictionary. You know what I mean? They didn't write an encyclopedia. They wrote a manual about their book. But he was sort of saying he's doing a lot more in Europe now and he finds it really sad that he shows up in places to find that UCB has been bad-mouthed before they've been there. Really? And to find that people who have never taken a UCB class or have never met, even if we take UCB out of it, have never met Will Hines and have never taken his class, are suspicious because of where he comes from and what other people have said. And he was saying how frustrating it is for him because he's like, why aren't these people just doing what they want to do? Why isn't their art just their art? Why is their art the fact that it's not my art? And that really rung true to me because I was just like, we all do a thing where we stand in a room that's usually empty, if I'm honest, (laughs) and we make shit up. Just because we make it up in slightly different ways, does it matter? If you don't like the form that I perform, don't come to my shows. (laughs) That's fine. Do anything else with your life. Yeah, but I mean, it, that, I mean, it's true of improv, but it's also true of any kind of subculture. Yeah. Um, you know, and I do a, a warm-up when I'm teaching, and we go around the room, and I just ask people, uh, you know, for a hobby, interest, or passion that they have. And yeah. there, was, there was one time where we had a fell walker, and then a couple of people down, we had a rambler. And to me, they're the same thing. But because they're in the walking scene, yeah. there's like, you know, 
a little bit of like, well, actually, rambling, it's not proper walking unless you're going up and down mountains or something like that. Please tell me they properly kicked off at that point. Well, you there know was what? a big debate. People started talking about the fact that rambling existed before fell walking. I mean, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, it was awkward because I was trying to teach. But uh, I thought, no, let's not learn about search engine optimization. Let's really get to the bottom of this. Oh, my God. If you teach me about search engine optimization, that would be great. Sure, we'll do that. I will do that on a different... Is that going to be the second podcast? The second it's podcast. Have, it'll be four hours long. It'll be me in front of a computer asking you where the on button is. That's where we have to start, unfortunately. Yeah, we could certainly do that. That's not a problem. That's yeah. the second podcast. I'm still doing the first podcast. But yes, let's bear that in mind. Um, yeah, you mentioned uh, genre Claude Van Damme, mm-hmm. which is your film genre... The movie. So the, the form that we do is called The Movie. Yeah. And it was the last form that Del Close developed uh, in its entirety. And it was taught to us initially by Anthony Tamanek from UCB when he came over, and then again a second time by him and Neil Casey. And they came over when they performed at Slapdash earlier this year and they did the two-man movie. Yes, I saw that. It was amazing. It was amazing, wasn't it? It's genuinely one of the best things I've ever seen. And they blew the roof off the place. I mean, the audience were phenomenal. I had to call them... I was hosting that night. I had to call them back up on stage to bow again (laughs) because the audience wouldn't stop. And that is... That's something I love about improv, because improv, it, it doesn't always work. No. We've, all, we've been them, we've been <laughs> in the audience, we've been on stage, it doesn't always work. Yes. And then sometimes it works well, sometimes it works fine, sometimes it works great. And sometimes it does a thing which no one was expecting, because they can't expect it, because it hasn't occurred yet. And I feel like that was one of those nights. Like, even those two guys who, you know, like, Neil squeezed us in during his auditions for the new Ghostbusters, because he's now playing the baddie. Oh, really? Yeah, so they were sending me and Shem really cryptic emails that were like, (laughs) Neil potentially has a thing. And if this thing comes off, it's a big thing. (laughs) And then right at the last minute, they were like, fuck it, we're coming. Right, it's it's on. Uh, And then the second they get back, literally the day after, it's announced that Neil's been cast as the baddie (laughs) of the Ghostbusters. And that's another thing I love about improv. I mean, this guy is in LA. He's getting into major films. He's making hundreds of thousands of pounds. But he's still flown across here to this tiny little burgeoning scene in London to play a night above a pub. Don't want to sound like I'm dismissing Slapdash. Love it. Put loads of work into it. But in the scheme of what he does, (laughs) that is what it was. And they loved it. They loved being here. They want to come back. Um, It's hard to describe what their... It's hard to describe their show, but for those that weren't there, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to do so. Yeah, so Dell developed the form, and there's not many people that do it at the moment. So Genre Claude are one of the only teams in the world that do this form. Um, so it is an improvised movie. What happens is we get uh, anything from the audience. We choose to get a, a line of a song. Uh, but let's go through the process. Give me a line of a song. Uh... That you particularly are attached to. Um, the irony is that Jean-Luc Claude are getting prepared to pre- perform tonight and I'm not there I'm here doing this and then teaching so <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the those who can't pull while everybody else is on stage <laughs> uh, the reflex is a lonely child uh, I forgot another that's one. great I'll take that the okay, reflex is a lonely child so between the six of us we're going to do three scene paints uh, we're going to describe the scenes in some detail and we're going to describe two characters within each of them. So uh, they're tagged scene paints, so whoever has a thought process will come out first. So your thought process to me straight away made me literally picture a doctor's office and a sick child. So that's probably what I'm going to start painting. So I'll pop out, but at any point I can be tagged out. So it really is a communal effort. 
the three scenes should ideally be entirely diversified. So I don't want to paint a doctor's office and a patient and then paint a waiting room and some parents. I probably could, but I'm already... It's the same as any kind of improv long form. Don't narrow your world mm. in the first minute. You're going to be up there for 30. Spread that world out. Put your tent poles wide mm. and bring them together later. Um, so we would do a series of scene paints. And by the end of those scene paints, as a group, we ideally want to have a concept of what this genre is. Mm. And the more specifically we know it, the more the harder we can play it. Um, so, like, horror is a very broad genre. But it, it's very a teen slasher flick is very different to uh, a horror of religious overtones. Um, so if that's what ended up being painted out... After the three scene paints, one of us will title it, literally. The titles roll up on the screen and the film is called X. And then we cut to the first scene. Right. Now, we know the first three scenes we're going to do, we're going to play the ones that were painted. Yes. And there are six of us in the team. So if we're all in, each of us is probably going to be in one of those scenes each. Leaving four other people around the outside of each scene to do everything else that occurs in a movie. So we edit it. We change camera angles and we use our hand actions to show. So if I'm the doctor and you're the patient and uh, I'm giving you some really bad news, then one of my teammates will walk on and say, cut to a close up on the patient's face. And I'll continue to give you the bad news. It's just like a movie. I don't stop speaking because I've been edited out of that scene. I step off stage. You step up to the front. They frame your face with their hands to show this is the close up. And as I tell you, you know, if we'd caught it earlier that there might have been a chance, but I'm telling you now this is your last Christmas. Mm. We see, we, they don't direct your reaction. They don't say, he looks devastated. We just, you know, we're focusing on your face while you get told this information. You act. Heaven mm. forfend an improviser act. <laughs> um, and what we want to do, rather than follow the narrative of this, is to hit all the tropes. Right. So if it's a teen slasher flick, we want to hit the scene where there's lovers in a car and they get eviscerated. And we, we have done that, actually. They were virgins. It was very funny. So they were the only non-lovers. And we kept cutting to, like, the steamed-up windows of the cars around them, sort of shaking and rutting <laughs> while these two were, like, holding hands and looking very chaste and in love. <laughs> um, we've done a scene where uh, it was a rom-com set in New York. So uh, we hit the trope of, like, the, um, the, fe- the nosy older female neighbour. Uh, out the window. Why, what are you going to get yourself a nice goyle? Um, <laughs> we've had a scene which was set in a Starbucks, so we just hit all of the sponsorship. You know, the cups are outside, the Starbucks and everything. Three quarters of the way through the scene, Starbucks napkins literally started raining down from the ceiling. <laughs> and you can also paint the actors. So within that scene, uh, I know it was Simon, I don't remember who was on stage with him, but I painted him as being a model who was doing his first ever acting role. So within what we're doing, Simon is then constantly looking at what the camera would be and like <laughs> getting his lines really wrong and like accidentally like not touching the person that he's supposed to be. <laughs> and so he's a terrible actor within this scene because that's true as well. And that's a, that's a game we can hit because we see those in those sorts of films. Yes. So it does, the plot does wind up, but the plot is not the key thing. You can cut forward as much as time. The key thing is to play the games. Like with all long form, you're looking for the games, how to explore them, how to heighten them, um, and how to make sure your audience find it funny. <laughs> so if, um, how much research do you do into different genres? We do loads. Yeah? We, yeah, we really do loads. We take it very seriously. Um, 
different team members will pick genres that we have to explore and then we'll pick um, movies within it that we all have to watch. Either we'll get together and watch films or we'll have projects to watch certain films by certain times. Uh, one of the tools that was suggested to us for rehearsals is to pre-decide a genre, research it, watch some films, and then re- in rehearsals practice specifically oh. with, okay, underdog sports movies. So we're going to watch... Rocky, we're going to watch Remember the Titans. We're going to watch these films and then we're going to specifically try to hit that genre in rehearsal. Um, you don't predetermine it when you're on stage, but you you need to know. Because if I make it three quarters of the way through a scene painting and I'm like, oh, this is a 1940s MGM musical. Well, if I'm honest, in my team, if we make it three quarters of the way through, it's a 1940s MGM musical. Lindsay and I are running that show. <laughs> uh, and the other four are going to very politely do what they're told. <laughs> um and that's, that's sort of part of it as well. That's why you have a bigger team. Uh, all of the guys in our team are great at, like, Hong Kong cinema. Right. And I'm okay with Hong Kong cinema, but I'm great with uh, sort of 1940s screwball comedies. <laughs> they don't have that. <laughs> they don't want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're all working really hard. I don't like horror films. I've watched horror films for this team. I hate them, but I'll watch them because I have to know. <laughs> Um, right, so, so yeah, it's interesting that you know, um, you, different people in the group have different kind of specialities. Yeah, and that's just that's just their favourite type of film. It's just but that's that. also true of an improv team. I mean, that's why a Harold team has eight people. I'm also in the rebranding, which is a long, just a I was going to say generic long form team, but that sounds terrible. No, yeah. we you're just not do generic. Really, we do really generic work. <laughs> Sometimes that's true. Um, uh, but, you know, we'll do Harold's and mono scenes and just straight up long form without a, a such a specific form on top. Uh, so that's true of your improv scene partners as well. I mean, I am the the gobby one. I, that's just true. I am. Um, I, will, I will have no fear in leaping out into a scene and going first. But that's because I know there are a variety of other people around me with a variety of different skills who are going to come in in different ways and support that. Yeah. Um, Billy Merritt invented the concept of Pirate Robot Ninja. Sorry, Billy Merritt is also a teacher that we brought over from LA. He was here uh, when we organized the 201s recently. Um, a lot of people talk about Pirate Robot Ninja, but not they don't really understand the detail of what it's supposed to be. Um, and ideally, every improviser is aiming to be a combination of all of them. Be aware of what your tendencies are. If you're someone who's super confident and happy to run on stage, that's great. But also be aware that you know the team needs scenes to be edited for them to be great and the, t- scene, the team needs uh, someone who knows how to heighten and bring back second beats and explore ideas and I, it, ideally eventually you want a team where everybody can do those things mm. but uh, it's never about sort of judging your skills or judging other people's skills it's just about embracing that you've all got them and you're all working on them in different ways and different styles. So the the pirate is the confident person that walks on and will just so the pirate and the robot are basically left brain, right brain, is the way that Billy describes it. And right. he says the reason he invented the concepts of pirates and robots is because left brain, right brain is boring. Everyone loves pirates and robots. Yeah, so the pirate will literally storm the stage. And he sort of talks about the fact that Amy Poehler uh, was just your tip- atypical pirate. No, typical pirate. I always use atypical incorrectly. <laughs> um, because she was never happier than when she was just out in a scene with no idea of what was going on. Of all the people that I've played with, the biggest pirate is Alistair McGee. I literally watched him scream in a scene for over a minute and a half. 
It was the funniest thing. The audience was crying. People were literally standing up and applauding him because all he was doing was on his knees screaming, but it made perfect sense based on the scene before. Now, a lot of improvisers just wouldn't have the balls to do that. Just drop to their knees and maintain a scream on an empty stage alone for a minute and a half. People were crying. <laughs> um, that's, that takes massive balls. That's great. But if there's not somebody else in the team that is able to then come into that scene and build it further, yes. it's one joke. Yes. So you need your robot. You need someone who can come in. And then your ninja... Uh, so it's always supposed to be that you initiate like a pirate, heighten like a robot, and edit like a ninja. The ninja kills a scene seven seconds before it knows it's dead. Right. Okay, cool. Yep. So the ninja yeah. is the ninja is the person that makes everybody else look good. Yes. Taking scenes out on highs. Yes. Things like that. Um, I don't remember why I mentioned Robot Robot Ninja. I got distracted and my brain roamed. No, it was good. We I were think talking... it was just different skills. Yeah. Yes, different skills, yes. Uh, I mean, we were talking about the rebranding. And uh, their generic or otherwise nature. <laughs> I would say otherwise, but I mean, you know, you know the group better than I do. <laughs> uh, and... <laughs> so, um, can yeah. they see me flipping the bird in the podcast? I, I am. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, best if you uh, best if you explain what you're doing. Um, uh, I'm drinking water and taking the insult politely. <laughs> now I'm opening a banana. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> Bananas, are they not the favourite vegetable, vegetable, fruit? It's not or... pineapple? <laughs> oh yeah, it's not <laughs> I don't know, I would say I've seen uh, improvisers eat more bananas than I have any other oh, I approve of any improvise. Oh, I see, in general. I, thought, I always thought you were referring to object work. No, uh, no. Uh, no, I'm going to have to think about that, I'm not sure. I was just thinking, in general... Uh, when I've been around improvisers, bananas have been the uh, the. I feel fruit like a lot choice. of improvisers are generally quite lazy, and banana is a fairly low maintenance fruit. Yeah, yeah. You hard to ever see an improviser eat a pomegranate, for example. That that seems a lot of effort for not much reward. What? So lawyers? I don't know who eats pomegranates. I don't know. I don't really associate with anybody that isn't an improviser. So Someone I... finickety. Kindergarten <laughs> yeah. teachers. Someone who doesn't mind little fiddly things. Someone. I don't know, someone that does needlework, someone's good with needles, I don't know. <laughs> so self-harmers, got it, okay. <laughs> Hello to all our self-harmer listeners, I uh, hope you're enjoying your uh, pomegranates out there. As long as you're comfortable with who you are, there's no judgement from us. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was thinking about object work, yeah, what's the most uh, popular fruit uh, when it comes to object work? Yeah, it could be a banana. Pineapples are, uh, yeah, pineapples. <laughs> so the rebranding. Yes. Uh, what's their What's their thing? What's their thing? What makes the rebranding the rebranding as opposed to any other group that does mono scenes and heralds? So maybe we should talk about what they are um... as well. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the things that makes the rebranding the rebranding is longevity because we've been together for about two and a half years now. Uh, originally C3467X, that team name that just trips off the tongue. Um, <laughs> I feel like the strength of the rebranding in some ways is almost its weakness. Uh, and I feel like as a team we've worked incredibly hard to make sure it's gone towards strength rather than weakness. Um, we were, we're very diversified in our backgrounds and our training as regards improv. We all like long form. That's one of the reasons why we all got together as a team. Um, 
But when you're so diversified, that can be quite challenging when you're working towards certain forms or certain styles. Because when people have entrenched habits of like, but this is how I would do a certain thing, that can be very hard. Um, And it's not about sort of what I was saying before about like, just let people do their thing. It's like, yeah, that's great. But when you're trying to work together... You know, if you were trying to do a painting with seven other people and one's an impressionist and one's a pointillist and one's a... That's really hard. So I feel like that's a real strength is that there was a lot of diversity in the team. But in some ways, I feel like personally, sometimes I found that quite challenging because it was just like, oh, these people are pulling in different directions to me. Yes. Um, that's hard to like... It's good because it just means you're working every muscle. But sometimes it's just like, holy shit, I'm working every muscle. Come on. <laughs> Sounds exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's I think it's beneficial. I think it's the reason why we're doing good things now. But I feel like for a long time, and I imagine there's loads of improv teams out there that could associate with this. As a team, I found it so frustrating that we could have an amazing show and the next week have a terrible show. And it's just like, oh, there must be some middle ground. <laughs> Can't we just string a couple of okay-ish ones together? Whereas I feel our batting average now is, is significantly higher. <laughs> right, okay. So if you've got a very diverse group with different people with different skills and backgrounds, how do you bring everyone together without making, I don't know, do you all, is it the discipline of trying to practice the things so um, if you're performing and you have this thing that you do and you know it always works it's a case of well knowing you've got that but then trying to do something else so you build that muscle yeah well that's the thing because I'm not a fan of people who sort of I've heard it referred to as bag of tricks improvisers. I'd like a bag of tricks. Yeah. But I wouldn't use them. Yeah. I'd just like to have them. Well, uh, (laughs) we're bringing over a couple of teachers in January, one of whom is named Connor Ratliff. And I was listening to a podcast he was on. And he was saying for the first year and a half as an improviser, he was so nervous that he would decide backstage on a premise for a scene. He would pre-decide it and he would have it in his pocket. And he said, I never used it once in a year and a half, but in a year and a half, I couldn't go on stage without knowing I had an emergency premise pre-planned wow. that had nothing to do with the initiation, nothing to do with the opening, yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. but just knowing that he had it made him comfortable and confident enough to go on stage. Um, yeah, so I'm not a fan of sort of the bag of tricks, but in a lot of ways, it was it's getting to know your teammates and getting to know how they play. So when you're in a scene with someone, you know that if you pull in a certain direction, what are they likely to do? Are they likely to pull with you? Are they likely to bounce? Because, you know, uh, and that is, I feel like, what having a good coach is. Uh, For a long time, we didn't have a coach, and that was really challenging. I'm not... If it works for teams, great. Me, personally, I like having a coach. Right. Um, Because it just makes it so much easier. And it means that all of the team is on the same side. Right. You don't have to note from within. You don't have to try. You never have to look at your teammates in a critical fashion. That's somebody else's job. Yes. You just have to be in the scenes with them and, you know, make the best improv you can. Um, So I feel like having good coaches helped. Uh, Jules Munn stepped in to help us out initially. And then we had a few changes of uh, people in the team. Uh, and we had a long time with Mike O.T., who's now with the Free Association. That was super helpful. And then Alistair McGee came in and was also super helpful. And I think that did a lot for us to have coaches that were like, I can see all your different skills. And actually, I can help train up different strengths and weaknesses and teach you to start using them together rather than being in scenes where 
potentially different styles are butting up against each other and stopping scenes from progressing as well as they could be. Yes. Uh, so what, 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 how is an average rebranding rehearsal organised then? Uh, ooh, it's been a while since we had regular rehearsals. <laughs> so how they, t- how they tend to be organised now is that they're a specialist thing, focusing on a specialist thing. So we'll get a guest teacher in. Uh, so the last one, unfortunately, I couldn't be at, but Jim Woods was nice enough to do a specific thing on the mono scene with us. Uh, we'll arrange coaching sessions with teachers that we bring over from the US. So now they're much more sort of project orientated. That's interesting. But I feel like in some ways that's because we sort of know who we are as a team. Um, whereas initially when we were rehearsing, it was much more uh, warm-ups, building skills. And then I really feel like the team started to move forward when we all agreed to focus on the Herald. Hmm. Because there were a lot of people in the team that to begin with had, uh, which I think loads of people do, have, have issues about the Herald. Um, That's me nodding, by the way. Yeah. Yes, he is nodding. Because <laughs> um, I feel like, I feel like some people, when they're taught the Herald, they're taught a very basic structure. And I understand that, because when you're teaching something for the first time, of course, make it as simple to understand as possible. But when you teach the most basic structure of the Herald, again, it's that thing I was saying at the start that I don't like, it closes doors. Mm. So it makes people feel like they're in a cage. Mm. No, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how a Herald is. You have to make this move next, which is exactly how I described me no longer wanting to do narrative. You have to make this move next. No matter what's fun or interesting for you, this is what you have to do. And I'm sure people who do narrative would completely disagree with what I've just said. <laughs> they don't feel like that. They enjoy it. I don't feel that way about the Harold. To me, the Harold isn't a cage. It's a climbing frame. Mm. And I'm not inside it. I'm outside it. I'm, I'm hopping up the trellis. Yeah. Um, but I feel like you have to push through that. You have to focus on it. Yeah. And for a long time, our team didn't have a lot of focus and we kept trying different forms and they weren't really working for us. And a lot of the times, what was frustrating me is we were sort of blaming the forms. It's like, no, these forms work. We know they work because yeah. we've seen more talented people do them really well. <laughs> so it's not the form. Yes. Uh, and I think it helped. We had some people leave the team, um, which helped just because... What really makes a team work well is if people want the same thing. Yes. Um, And I feel like that's more available in improv in London now than it was maybe two or three years ago because the scene is growing so fast. So if you're in a team that wants to rehearse once or twice a month and do some gigs and take it all really cool, great, be in that team. Hmm. Um. And if you're a person who just wants to play and never wants to work at it and isn't interested in taking classes, great, play with those people. Uh, But you can't mesh them together with people that are like, I want this to be my life. I want this to be my career. I'm working really hard at building this. Yes. You you can't put them in the same team. It's not going to work. Yes. So I feel like that helped. And I feel like working on the Herald where it was like, right, we've all got to focus. We're all focusing on the same thing. We're pushing towards this. And the Herald is the skill that every long former is measured by because it's the one that makes you work everything. Yeah. You can't just be good at scene work, but you also can't just be good at heightening and you can't just be good at recalling ideas and you can't just be good at um, being a two person scene. You can't just be good at group games. You can't just be good at open. You have to be able to do the lot <laughs> uh, to do this form. Yes. Uh, and I really feel like for us, that was the key of like, well, now we've decided to focus on the Herald we can see we're getting better. Even though these challenges are still there and it's still hard and there's still frustrations, every week we're getting better because 
it's like going to the gym. I hate it. My fat ass is on this treadmill and it's awful. <laughs> but it, 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 well, it's not even the treadmill. It's the cross trainer. The Harold is the cross trainer. And every single week it gets a little bit easier. And every single week your ass is a bit narrower. <laughs> every single week you hate yourself slightly less when you leave. <laughs> yes, I've never, uh, no, I've never actually uh, been properly taught the Harold. So it's something that I will approach one day. Yeah. Um, but, I love it. But I feel yeah. like you have to know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like so many people are just like, I fucking hate it. And then you hear about their experience with it. And it's like, of course you do. Yeah. That makes complete sense to me. But then you hear about the other people that have been taught it properly and really worked at it. And there's not one person that isn't like, I fucking love the Harold. Ah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it reminds me of one of my favorite drop-ins that I did with you on a Tuesday night was montages. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, right. Now you've kind of explained montages. I kind of get how they work now because I'd seen them. Yeah. And it's 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 the thing about looking out for the shiny thing in the scene and putting it in your pocket so you can bring it out later. Yeah. That was so helpful because that's like well it's sort of obvious but it sort of isn't. It's one of those obvious things that's only obvious actually when someone's pointed it out. Well, it's so hard. I mean, especially when you're new to something. Even if you've been doing improv for a while, as soon as you're new to anything, a new form, whatever, you were so busy just trying not to fuck it up <laughs> that to actually like listen and be aware of what's going to be useful to do is so challenging. And that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to do uh, how to do a montage. I've also done drop-ins on how to do a jam, and I will do how to do a montage again because I loved it. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people, when they do a montage for the first time, is it a jam? Like, we run jams, Dr. Goose run jams, there's loads around. Um, there's some at the Miller. Like, they're very, very popular. People go because they want the stage time. But they're nervous. They've barely been on stage before. There's people watching them. They're playing with complete strangers who... I mean, I'm saying how challenging it is to be in a team when people have different <laughs> styles. Let alone, yeah. what was your name? Okay, let's do some stuff. I find jams terrifying. I still do. Oh, I mean, I'm impressed that you do them anyway, despite <laughs> that. But it's sad. It should be a thing you enjoy. Um, well, yeah, it's the sort of thing that I think that well, if I carry on doing it long enough, I will enjoy it. Yes. <laughs> Possibly it won't. Take that same attitude when you finally learn the Harold. <laughs> <laughs> But it is, like, I mean, I think we've all been at jams as well, where it's like, what's your suggestion? Egg. What are we going to watch? 19 scenes about eggs. <laughs> and, I mean, they're, they're not fun for the audience. <laughs> they're not. They're not fun for the improvisers. <laughs> because people haven't been taught how beautiful a montage can be. People just see it as, like, we'll just do some scenes. Yeah. It's like, sure, you could just do some scenes, or you could really look at doing a massive range of diversified, unique, funny, beautiful scenes, and then you could have a look at whether or not there's any ideas in these scenes that you want to come back to and to re-explore. You could have a look at if there's any ideas in these scenes that marry together, that could create new ideas, and your old scenes could have baby scenes, and they could all... There's so much more that could happen rather than just, here's another scene about an egg. (laughs) And if you're new to improv and you're getting up on stage and do a scene about eggs, fucking applaud yourself. That's why I said applaud yourself right from the... Just clap yourself for getting on the stage. Even if you just play the egg and you say nothing. Job well done. Yes. But if you're doing this for a while and you want to push yourself, you know, these skills will help you enjoy it so much more and will help your audience enjoy it so much more. Yes. And for me... That's what I love. I'm in improv because I love comedy. I know a lot of other people are like, no, I don't like to say comedic improv. I'm not aiming for comedy. I'm aiming for art. That's my biggest bugbear. <laughs> don't tell me comedy isn't art. No, but if uh, if you say that you're aiming for art and you hit comedy, then that's great. But uh, if you're aiming for art and you're not funny, uh, it's also worked. <laughs> 
I feel like that I, I'm, I'm so glad that you're the one who said it because I feel like I'm already unpopular with these viewpoints. Um, I've definitely seen people do that. I wasn't aiming for comedy. It's like, well, were you aiming for good improv because you missed that too? Um, if you're not aiming for comedy, if you're aiming for dramatic improv, great. That's not my bag. But it's exactly the same as what I was saying about cakes. If that's what you want to do, fucking do it. Love it. Enjoy it. Um, it's not for me. I love comedy. Yeah, I, I love, love it in all my art forms. Yes. Jean-Claude Van Damme. I keep having to watch films that aren't comedies. I'm starting to realise I've lost the last 20 years of my life. Because <laughs> that's all I watch. Um, so I saw, you know, I love it. But that is my aim. Is to be funny yes and not jokey yes. it really annoys me when people say improvisers shouldn't aim to be funny yes yes you should you're doing comedy improv yes of course you should aim to be funny what you shouldn't aim is to be unrealistic and jokey don't aim for zany don't aim for silly don't aim for gaggy but totally aim for funny actually that's a really interesting distinction that i haven't heard before and i think actually that's you're clearly not I'm coming doing. to enough of my drop-ins <laughs> <laughs> um yes uh, actually, yes, I'm going to take that away and I'm going to think about Thank that. Thank you. I mean, it's, it really is a, a bugbear of mine. People have come to my show. They've given up their time. Like, we do free shows now, but people used to give up their money. You know, we ask for donations at the end. But they've given up an evening of their life. They've chosen what I'm doing as the thing that's going to entertain them and distract them from their lives. That's a massive gift an audience member is giving me. That's huge. Especially in a city like London. There are a million fucking things this person could do. They've come to my show. To then turn around and kind of go like, oh, well, I wasn't aiming to like do anything good. That's so... <laughs> that so frustrates me. We bill our shows as comedy. Yes. I, that's what we should be delivering on. Yeah, that's, so, well, I'm, when I say we, I mean I specifically see through something, the shows that we're involved with. Yes. If people aren't billing them as comedy and they're aiming for something else, great, aim for that and I hope you achieve it. Yes. But yeah, don't tell me that what I do isn't art. That to me is so patronizing. Yes. I find that amazing. Oh, I wasn't aiming for, I was aiming for art and I settled for comedy. It's like, oh, <laughs> well, you know, I was aiming for comedic art and I feel like I achieved it. So. <laughs> Who's yes. going home happier? I mean, it, it suggests <laughs> it's, it suggests that you know comedy is easy, and yep. you know it just it's really hard. Yeah, when I was a high school teacher, I always found it so much easier. I felt like because I I worked in arts colleges, so a lot of my kids went off to the lambdas and the radas and things like that. They were the sort of kids I was teaching, and for the ones that were less strong in those groups, if they were having to do a play in front of an examiner, I would always put them in a dramatic role. Yes, because I just felt like people. People understand what it is to be sad because we've all been sad. People understand what it is to be angry because we've all been angry. But to be happy isn't to be funny. Funny isn't an emotion. Funny is a skill. Yes. Everybody can be happy. Everybody can be sad. Not everybody can be funny. Yes. Everybody has the potential to be funny and to learn how to do it. But you speak to my cousin Karen. The reason we're laughing at her isn't because she's funny. The reason we laugh at her is because she cannot tell a joke. <laughs> Okay, you know, there's this chicken, it's crossed a road. No, wait, that's how she tells jokes. She gets so confused. And of course, we think it's hilarious. But she's not being funny for how she intends to be funny. Yes. But jokes, are I don't really like jokes. A lot of the time, people don't like jokes because you're ahead of them. 
Yes. They're not funny because you can see the punchline coming. Well, they're just really long and I feel like I have to pay attention to it all yeah. and you laugh at the right bit. Yeah. <laughs> Why should you get... Well, if they're not... But if a joke is so long that you can't be bothered to, to pay attention till the end, it's not very interesting. No, there is. If it's not interesting, why are you doing it? Well, I just think that some people, they tell jokes uh, as a replacement for humour, as an alternative to humour. I love that sentence. I love that sentence so much. Because I've seen that with so many newer improvisers as well. Uh, I always talk in a lot of my classes about the fact that you don't have to be funny to do improv. In fact, I would actively suggest not... Well, jokey. I'm sorry, not yes. funny. Jokey. Yes. I would actually suggest not doing it because the jokey guy is that guy. Oh. That guy who does the finger guns and steps in the way. It's okay, guys. I've got this. And as I always point out in my drop-in classes, are you listening, ladies? It's always a guy. <laughs> it's ne- there's never been a lady that's like, I'm here! Pow! Uh, or a woman, I should say, not lady. Um, like, the, nothing will kill an improv scene faster yeah, than that guy. Yeah. Because there's nothing realistic about him. There's nothing grounded. And there's nothing funny. Like, he might be funny the first time he comes on. And, bah, 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 and everyone's <laughs> like, oh, that was weird. I'll laugh at that. But then he does it another seven times. It's like, you haven't given us a why. Why are you doing this? There's no reason behind what you're doing. There's no heightening. You haven't found a new situation for it. There's no new context. You're... You've just become irritating. Yeah, and you're giving me patter. You're giving me something that I feel that you've worked on. Yeah. um... There's nothing realistic coming out of you. You can see people. I've I've been in scenes with people when they've tried to drop shit on me that they've lifted straight out of someone's routine (laughs) off, like, BBC Three. And it's just like... uh... (laughs) You think I haven't, you know... Yes. It's on BBC Three, so it's already three years old. We all, we all know it. You haven't even lifted anything from the guy down the road that I haven't seen do stand-up yet. You're going to steal material. At least steal it from unknowns. Do you think that's a conscious stealing, or is it just... Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to generalise. But there, there are, you know, there are comedians that I like, and I find I'm not doing... Okay, so when I was at school, yep. I had... Uh, friends that would watch um, Mel Smith and Griff Reese Jones. Okay. And they would memorise the talking head sketches mm-hmm. that they would do and then they would repeat them and and I don't like that. But then, you know, if you like a comedian and you just immerse yourself in their way of speaking or their way of thinking... There can be times where maybe that comes out in a scene. I don't know. Yeah. um, I think if people are genuinely just trying to do a thing that already exists, it comes from fear. Uh, A fear that they are not going to be funny, a fear of exposing themselves. A lot of the time it's a fear of letting their real selves out. So you'll see a lot of people on stage, even if they're not being an actual comedian, you can see that they're being a character. (laughs) Um, And a character to me is... A character is a point of view. It's a filter of how you interpret the world. It's not, I've got a weird voice and a weird walk. (laughs) I'm a character. Uh, This character may have a weird voice and a weird walk, but unless they have a view on the world, it's just you using a stupid voice. Um, And I feel like some people do that because it's fear of like, but I don't want to expose myself. If people don't laugh at this character, it's because the character's not funny. If I'm playing more grounded and realistic and people don't laugh, it's because I'm awful and they hate me. (laughs) So I understand where that comes from and I can completely empathize with it. Um, Having started in short form, I found when I moved into long form that that was a skill 
I really had to reposition myself on because I was one of those people that's like, I know I can leap out and do a thing that's funny here. So I guess I was one of those guys. Having said no women do it, I've proven myself <laughs> wrong. I was that asshole. <laughs> I know I can leap out and do a thing here that's funny, but is it interesting? Is it grounded? Can I build on it later? Is it supporting my team? And is it supporting what's happening in this scene? Um, no, probably not. So I think, yeah, I think some of it comes from fear. I think some of it comes from people wanting the laughter. They're there because they want to be laughed at. Yes. They saw it. Laughed with, laughed at, depends hey, on... Hey, to be honest, it's all, you know... It's all noise. Um, <laughs> they know that they've seen this routine get a laugh, so it may get a laugh in this context. Yeah. I think most of the time it's not just I'm trying to take credit for somebody else's work. I think it comes from a better place than that. But it's about teaching people that they're unique and interesting already. Yes. I don't know you, Stuart. You know, well, I'm... I know, I, I do know you, Stuart. Um, <laughs> but I mean, there's so much about you I don't know. So that's already going to be interesting to me, which it might not be interesting to you. I didn't know you taught web design. That's already interesting to me. Um, that's enough. You're already interesting. Now learn to channel it in interesting and fun and unique ways uh, to be able to use it to do good things on stage rather than, I'm a quote, a Monty Python sketch from 40 years oh. ago, which... Still will be funny because Monty Python did good sketches, but you know, leave leave the Monty Python sketch to Monty Python. I can't, I can't. I don't know if this is controversial. I can't watch Monty Python. Monty Python fans have killed Monty Python. For I think me. that's fair. I think that's fair. And I just, I can't watch it now because I'm thinking of the people that I knew and they were at school, and it's like they weren't funny doing the quotes, and I can't divorce the original mm. material from the people that mimicked it. Well, I'm Australian, so I had less exposure to yeah. them. I knew them and I liked them, but I actually knew them far more for their movies than I ever did for the TV series and things like that. Yeah. But like working with Shem Pennant, who's English, he gets very frustrated when people re- mention Monty Python <laughs> because he's like, for me, it's the same thing that frustrates me when people talk about whose line is it anyway. It's like, why are you bringing up a thing? Whose line is 28 years old now? Monty Python, you know, what, 50, 40? I've, I've, I've no idea how yeah, old it yeah. is. Like, yeah, reference it if you want, but don't ignore the 50 years that followed it, full of amazing things that were happening worldwide. Sure, yeah, the parrot's dead, got it. Okay, now what else is happening? Yes. I mean, I think the way I look at Monty Python is that um, is to think about it in its historical context, and at that time, if you compare it with the other things that were around, yes, it was groundbreaking, and yes, it paved the way for lots of other things as well. Yep. But as you say, it's, you know, it's 2015, 2016 now, so let's... Yeah, and I mean, admire it, use it, build on it, have their bravery, absolutely have their bravery, do the stuff that you want to do because you believe in it, but also have their integrity as well, work on it so hard that it's undeniable, uh, but work on your own stuff, yes. don't quote their stuff, they did their stuff, yes. and they did it really well, yes. why do karaoke when you could learn to sing? Uh, I don't know if... Someone likes karaoke. Well, yeah. You know, I'm I'm just going to... Is karaoke not singing? But it's like... Yeah, okay, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, 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 I think the difference is, uh, with a singer... They can go out and they can do their songs, you know, 20 year old songs. They can do the same songs, the great hits year after year, and people will love it. Whereas if you're a comedian, you can't do the same material year after year after year after year. 
Oh, you can. There are plenty that still manage to like wheel themselves. You're just playing increasingly small venues right. to increasingly older people. But I feel like you can. I don't feel like you should. No. Because uh, comedy, I think, is one of those art forms. She said it again. Comedy is art. Um, if nobody, if, if anyone has a takeaway from that, from me, that's comedy is art. Put it on t-shirts, people. But then don't wear them because you're a comedian. Have your own ideas. Don't wear it printed on a shirt. Um, uh... I got angry and now I've lost my train of thought. You... Yeah, I mean, comedy is one of those art forms where it's designed to push boundaries. Um, you want it to be moving forward constantly. So often comedy is the art form that is ahead of everything else. Uh, logistically, because it can get on stage immediately. I mean, something controversial happens in the world. People are making jokes about it on Twitter immediately. Yeah. Uh, there's a comedian I adore named Anthony Jeselnik who's very, very controversial. And he prides himself. Every time there's a tragedy in the world, he will make a joke on Twitter within an hour. Now, that doesn't make him popular, <laughs> but it, it, I love it because it's just, it is that attitude of just like, yeah, well, shit happens constantly. It's my job to laugh in the face of this shit, but in a clever way, yes. in an intelligent way, to use my skills and my brain, to use my skills for good, not evil. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, the correct way to use your skills. <laughs> yeah, to push these boundaries. And it's not like, oh, I'm just going to mock all these terrible things that happened. It's about being clever enough to see the ridiculousness of the horrors that happen in our world and to be able to fight against them through humour. Yes. That sounds... Yeah? Sounds like in seven seconds' time, this scene should end. <laughs> seven seconds ago. The ninja yes. is seven seconds ago. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> well, never mind. Uh... That's all right. It gives me time to climb down off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> this was fun. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did very much. I really enjoy doing this. This is really ah, good fun. It's wonderful. It's just like it's just like doing improv, really, because it's it's mainly listening. <laughs> it's like, it is when you've got me here. It's a lot of listening. Whoever, whoever got it's mainly listening and then thinking, oh, that's the thing. And if there's a gap, I might mention it. But if there isn't, I'm just going to sit here and like <laughs> take all the, not take all the credit, not take the credit. Oh, nice. Can I do some plugs then? I mean, we've mentioned a lot of yes. things I do. Yes. Um, yeah, so I'm C3Something with Shem Pennant. Um, we've got a website, c3something.com. Uh, we run this drop-in, which Stuart's been talking about. We also bring teachers over regularly from the US uh, to do individual classes, like what's happening in January, or to do accredited Upright Citizens Brigade levels, uh, which is what's happening in February. So all the details are on there. Um there's a break happening over Christmas, but Jean-Claude Van Damme do a free show every single Sunday at the Horse and Stables, which is behind Waterloo near Lambeth North. There's a jam in every show. See through something is associated with. There's always a jam. So if you would like stage time, you are always welcome. There will always be a place for you to play at our shows. Um, and also, if you come and watch and applaud us, it saves us just having to applaud ourselves. So we would appreciate that too. <laughs> um, Facebook, Twitter, see through something. I think that's it. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Pleasure. And, uh, yes. Nice. Good. Okay, I'm going to eat the rest of this protein bar now. Yes, get ready for your class. Woo! Woo! Nice. I don't know, because time's on my phone and I'm using the phone to record. Oh, of course. Bye! Bye! I made this. That's improv! That's improv!